have your um, Bibles, open with me to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 39. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Pray with me. Father God, we come to the time in our service in which we come to your word, and we pray that your spirit will speak through me, that your spirit would take your truth and apply it to my heart and apply it to the hearts of your people, and that we need him, Lord, to come. Uh, Apart from him, this means nothing. He has to take your truth and apply it to the hearts of your people. So I pray, spirit, come down and glorify Christ through this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. At the end of a busy week, a busy school week, that is an expression that we all have as we walk out of the door, as we get into our car. Thank God it's Friday. TGIF. All of us love Friday. I know I do. And we all love it for various reasons. For some, it's, it's payday. It's the end of the work week. It's the beginning of the weekend. And most importantly, during this time of the year, it is the day of preparation before the big game on Saturday. Friday. We love Fridays. But if we could for a moment go back 2,000 years ago. And for one person... For one particular person in Jerusalem, his Friday started out just like any other Friday. He got up that morning, he put on his uniform, he headed out to his post, headed out to fulfill his daily responsibilities. Little did he know that that particular Friday was not going to be like any other Friday. He was going to see something. He was going to take part in something, witness something that he has never seen before. His ordinary Friday turned out to be a life-changing Friday. It wasn't just any other Friday. You see, a routine event for him turned out to be just not any other event. Because the person he comes face-to-face with was just not any other man. Who is this person? John tells, Mark tells us, when the satyrian who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last. He said, truly, this man was a son, the son of God. The satyrian, who is he? He is a professional soldier in the Roman army and usually commanded over 100 men. And like any military soldier, he had many responsibilities, and one of those responsibilities was overseeing crucifixions. I'm sure he's seen his share of them. Like all human beings, you know, when you see something for the first time, if you witness a murder or if you see a heinous crime, when you first see that, that it disgusts you. You're like, ugh, that's awful. That's inhumane. My goodness, I cannot believe what I just saw. 
But over time, if you continue to see that, what happens to you? If you continue to see heinous crimes over time, if you continue to, continue to witness murders over and over and over again, what, what would begin to happen to you? You become numb to it eventually. You become numb to it. It's safe to assume that our centurion friend here has seen his share of crucifixions taking part in them. Probably have become numb to them. It no longer phases him. It no longer disgusts him. It's just routine. It's just part of my job as a Roman soldier. It ain't personal. It's just business. When you see things on TV, violent crimes on TV, when you witness murders on TV, you become numb to those things in real life. You can read murders in the newspaper and like, hmm, someone died yesterday. You're not shocked by it anymore, are you? It's just life, right? It's no longer discuss you, right? It's just routine. It's like moving to a town that has a paper mill. When you first move to the town, you know the smell. You know the odor. But when you live there for months and months and months, what will begin to happen to you? You no longer smell it. You no longer smell it. You become accustomed to the smell. The odor is no longer there. And the same thing has happened to this man. He no longer smells the odor of a crucifixion. It's just normal. It's just life. So when he first saw Jesus, he didn't think anything was different. It wasn't anything unique about this particular man, this particular cross. It was just any other Friday, any other day on the job. To him, Jesus was just another convicted criminal getting his just punishment for his crimes, crimes against Rome. He was an enemy of the state. Was he really an enemy of the state? Did he really receive a, a just punishment? We know that's not true. We know that he was only convicted because the people were envious of him. He was condemned to death by no, for no sound reason. But the centurion didn't know any of those things. Again, his Friday was starting out like any other Friday. But when we look back through the scriptures, when we look through history through God's word, we know that that particular Friday was not any other Friday. Don't we? And we know that cross was just not any other cross. You see, death by crucifixion in the Roman Empire, it was a shameful, disgraceful way to die. It was painful, and it was reserved for the worst type of criminals, which Jesus was not. He was a righteous man, crucified like a criminal. They divided up his garments. And Mark says in, in, in verse 26 of chapter 15 that the inscription of the charge against him was this, King of the Jews. And as he hung on that cross, he was, he was derided. He was mocked by people. They said things like, save yourself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. Then we would see and believe. He saved others, but he could not save himself. Even one of the criminals on the cross with him mocked him as well. Unlike the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the satirian did not do any of those things. He stood facing Jesus. The image you should have is a soldier just standing right in front of the cross of Jesus, looking up at the Christ, facing Jesus, looking at Jesus dying. Keep in mind that he ain't planned for this. 
It wasn't part of his military military itinerary which is focused on Jesus' cross. That was not part of his plan. He was beginning to notice something. That my day may not just be any other day. This cross may not just be any other cross. He's seen his share of those crucifixions. But something was different about this. There was other men on the cross, other men crucified with Jesus, but he was focused on Christ, sending on his particular cross, facing Jesus, dying on the cross. Why? The cross apart from Christ means nothing. You know that, right? The cross apart from Jesus has no power. Christ gives it the power. And only his cross can grab a person's heart and change it. No one else can. No other, anything else can do that. Nothing else has the power to to do that. Only Jesus can do that. This soldier, he's a Gentile. Live the Roman lifestyle, I would assume. As we know, ancient Rome is not known for its morality. So you can assume he probably lived a Roman lifestyle. But here he is, face to face with Jesus. All of us have a story that first brought us to the cross, don't we? Don't you have a story? And if you're honest, your story is just like the centurion. You didn't plan for it. Your day started out just like any other day. You were not looking for it. You were just going on about your life. It was a regular day. Praise God that he works in our regular life to bring us to himself. So what was it for you that brought you to the throne, that brought you to the cross? Did someone share the gospel with you? Will you just have a a life-changing moment? We all know what it is that first brought us there. And what's beautiful about the cross is that it captured our hearts. Do you remember the first time it captured your heart? When it had your heart and you were in love? You remember that time? It changed your heart through the Spirit and you received saving faith in Jesus. You saw your need for a Savior for the first time. You saw your need for Jesus for the first time. You were changed from the inside out. I had a friend who was studying to be a, a doctor, and he was having a hard time understanding the gospel, getting the gospel. He was a super nice guy, a good student. And every time, you know, I, I, I shared the gospel with him, he, he, always, he always thought he wasn't worthy because he didn't have his life lined up. So basically, he would, he would go to the cross, put a sticky note up there, and it says, I will return once I have my life together. Then I'll come back to the cross. He thought the cross was for people who was healthy, who had their lives lined up, who always made the right decisions, who always did the right things. And once his life looked that way, then he was going to return to Jesus' cross and receive him. That's not the gospel. He later got it. God later showed him that the cross is not for those who have their life together. It's for those who don't have their life together. And those who live like they have their life together are living a lie. They're faking. No one has it all together. No one. And the cross is for messy, broken sinners like me. 
and like you. The cross is unlike anything in the world. Why? Because it accepts you where you are first. It accepts you where you are first. Then it changes you and grows you into what God wants you to be. That's the gospel. That's the power of the cross. Have you experienced that? Have you forgotten it? It's powerful. It's wonderful. And the centurion is standing in front of it. Standing in front of it. That Friday, just not any other Friday, that cross, not just any other cross. Why? Because Jesus was not just any other man. He was just not any other man dying on the cross. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. As he stood facing Jesus, what did he see? What did he witness? What was happening to him that made him make this bold confession? He noticed how Jesus responded to his enemies. Luke tells us that Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He prayed for the ones who had him convicted. Prayed for the ones that had him nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He heard those words. He heard Jesus' words to the thief on the cross. The thief said, Jesus, remember me when your kingdom come. Remember me in your, hold up, when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus tell the criminal? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He was watching Jesus, seeing how Jesus treated those who hated him. He'd never seen anyone endure the suffering of the cross with such humility, purity, and love. He stood at the foot of the cross, facing the dying Jesus. Something was happening to this man. He was seeing the living gospel unfold before his eyes. That's what he was witnessing. He made this bold confession. Truly this man was the son of God. Why is that unique? See, in the gospel of Mark, the whole gospel is about Jesus being the son of God. The whole gospel is about that. And this is the first person in his gospel to make that confession boldly. And this person was a Gentile, not a Jew. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. And what draws him to that confession was the death of Christ. When he breathed his last, he made that confession. And And when he heard this cry of Jesus, he said, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. What was that loud cry that Jesus uttered? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he gave up his last. He gave his last breath. He was listening to Jesus say these things. And as one Christian said, this cry of Jesus was a cry of confidence. A cry by which Jesus voluntarily surrendered himself to his father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What does it mean that he breathed his last? It means Jesus freely yielded up his spirit. Death did not take Jesus' life. Do you know that, right? Death did not take his life. He freely gave his life. You want to talk about somebody being the man? That's Jesus. That's the man. Even in death, he was still in control. 
of his destiny. Can you wrap your mind around that? Even as he died, he was still the man, still in control of his destiny. And so 2,000 years ago, that Friday was not any other Friday. That cross was not any other cross. That man that hung there was not just any other man. He was the son of God. And only the son of God can do something like that. What else did he see? What else happened on that Friday? Mark 15, 38 says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You say, well, what's significant about that? In the temple, there was two sections in the temple. There was the holy place and the most holy place. And there was a curtain that divided them. The most holy place, the holy of holies, only one person could enter that place. That was the high priest, and he could only go there once a year to make atonements for the sins of the people. And that curtain was torn in two. Why? Because when Jesus died, there was no longer separation between God and his people. Christ had bridged the gap between God and his people. He died at the sacrificial lamb on the cross on that Friday as a way in which man could be made right with God. Now we, through him, can go into the holy of holies because of Jesus, our what perfect and true high priest. His enemies did not realize that there was a divine purpose behind his death. You see, they, they could not see that he was the son of God. They thought by killing him, they would silence him and put an end to his message and influence. Kill the man, kill the movement. No. By killing the man, they started one. His death did not silence him. It did not put an end to his message. It did not put an end to his purpose. Know this. Death was the fulfillment of his mission he received from the Father. He came to die as the sacrificial lamb. And death did not destroy that. It did not destroy him. He destroyed death. The power of sin through his death. He put those things in their place. He put death and sin in their place. Told them to know their role. You see, ancient Rome, crucifixion was what? It's a shameful and disgraceful way to die. And his enemies thought they brought him shame. They thought they brought him disgrace. They thought they made him a victim. They thought they won. Didn't they? We won. We got rid of Jesus. We just knocked Jesus off. That would be the end of it. And they were wrong. As the centurion stood facing Jesus, he was not looking at a victim. Know that. Jesus was not anyone's victim on the cross. He was not a powerless victim. He hung there. He suffered there. He endured there by his own free will. He died a powerful victor over his enemies. In his, even in death, he was the victor. He won. You know that, right? V is for victor, not victim. A cross that was a symbol of shame and disgrace and death was now a symbol of victory in life. That's what he did. He took the most disgraceful thing in the Roman Empire and made a symbol of life. Because there he defeated sin and death. You can only draw one conclusion. 
truly this man was the son of God. Now, if you're a believer, then you are tempted to say, I don't need to hear that sermon, Alex. I don't need to hear that. I'm already a Christian. I became a Christian when I was five. I walked down the aisle and made my profession of faith. So I understand that, Alex. I've already done that. But don't forget, you are still prone to wonder. Prone to leave the God you claim to love. And I ask you, is the cross still wonderful to you? Like it was when you first believed. Is it still amazing? Does it still grab your heart? Does it still have your attention? Does it, is it still powerful for the life that you live here as a believer? Is the cross is it dimmer in your life or is it bright, brighter? Is it brighter? Which is it? As you grow in your faith, the cross does not grow dimmer. It does not grow smaller. It should enlarge in your life every day for the rest of your life. And because as you grow in your faith, you don't become sinless. You grow and sin more of your sin. God gives you victory over sin. He gives you victory over things you go with. But you don't ever become sinless. You grow in more of a world how sinful you are. At the end of Paul's life, what did he say? I am the chief of all sinners. That was statement was made at the end of his life. I am the chief of all sinners. That was Paul at the end of his life. How do you see your life as you grow? Chief of all sinners. And so when you see your sin, that cross should be growing bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And brighter and brighter and brighter. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't give you victory. He does. But he never takes, he never, you never get to a place where you don't need the cross. And if that's your view of Christianity, then that's not Christianity. It's not self-help. It's, because, it's there because you can't help yourself. And you can't save yourself. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. And so, we should thank God and praise God that 2,000 years ago, that Friday wasn't just another Friday. We should thank God and praise God that one particular crucifixion was not just any other crucifixion. And you should thank God and praise God that Jesus was not just any other man dying a shameful death. Because if he was, then you are hell. You're going to hell. You are lost without hope. You should praise God and thank God for that. We all should. For Jesus who died in our place. Because if he did not, there is no hope. You talk about the people always, when we show you faith with people, folks will say, well, I don't see, where is God? I don't see God moving. I don't see God moving in my life. Understand that the incarnation is love. That's God moving in, 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 in your life. He sent Jesus because he loved you. Jesus died because God loved you. If he didn't care anything about you, Jesus would have never came and went through what he went through. He paid a price for your sin. And if you think you have no sin, then that is sin. You understand that? You understand that, right? Even your morality is sin. All your good works can be sin. 
Because God is not, that doesn't, you think God, how do I want to say this? God is not jumping up and down when we do good works, because our good works cannot save us. It still smells to him. It's vomit to him. Because we use our good works to isolate ourselves from him. No. We still need a savior to cover even that to cover even the good things that we do. We need a Savior for those too. Especially living in the Bible Belt. We have a lot of people who are good people. I go to church, I pay my tithe, pay my 10%, I don't cheat on my spouse, I may get a little overexcited about college football, but my vices are not that bad compared to other people. There's only one way in which you can be made right with God, and that is through Jesus. Not your own cross. Not your own good works. You need a savior. We all do. And as believers, we are not just any other people. You know that, right? We are his people. His beloved. And like him, we don't have to live as victims in our circumstances. You don't have to live as a victim of your own suffering. You don't have to live as a victim of your own disappointments, a victim of your shortcomings, a victim of your failures, a victim of your enemies, a victim of your foes. You don't have to live as a victim of of your sin, whatever that may be, pornography, whatever. You don't have to live as a victim of those things. Realize that because he died a victor, he rose as a victor, those who have seven faith in him can now live as victors over all those things. Do you know that? You don't have to live as a victim as a Christian. But God through his spirit gives you power to stand up over those things as a victor. That's the power of the cross. The power of the gospel. And even though I fail, I don't have to be a victim of that. I can still have joy. Even though I suffer, loss, I don't have to be a victim. I can still be a victor in that because he was. Disappointments, shortcomings. Are we going to have them? You think, some folks think when I become a Christian, no, I'm going to have this nice, safe life. God's going to give me everything I want. No, you will struggle. You will suffer. But you don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor in all those things. There's a story told by Reverend J.R. Miller of a, of a boy whose sister was dying. He heard that if he could secure but a single leaf from the tree of life that grew in the garden of God, the illness could be healed. So this boy set out to find his garden, and he implored the angel to let him have just one leaf, one leaf from the tree of life. The angel asked the boy, if he could promise that his sister should never be sick anymore if his request were granted, that she should never be unhappy or do wrong, nor be cold or hungry or be treated harshly if his request was granted. The boy said, I could not promise any of those things to my sister. Then the angel opened the gate a, a, a little and bidding the child to look inside for a moment to have one glimpse of the beauty of this garden. The angel said, then if you still wish, the angel said, 
I will myself ask the king for a leaf from the tree of life to give your sister. So the boy looks inside and he sees the beauty and the blessedness of what's inside that gate. He says softly to the angel, I will not ask for this leaf now. There is no place in all the world so beautiful as that garden. There is no friend so kind as the angel of death. I wish he would take me to. In Jesus, you are no longer a victim of death, but you stand as a victim over it because through it you will enter that garden of life in the next life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that because of what Jesus did upon the cross, there is no fear in death for those who know him. And that we truly live here sojourners, passing through. Uh, we suffer, we fight, and we're going to do those things. But we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of your kingdom. And as here, that's, this is who we represent. I pray through your spirit that we will represent you well. I pray, Father, that we will live as victors over the things that we go through. Now, we're going to suffer things, Father. We are. But, Lord, we can, we can get through them. We can fight through them, through one another as the body of Christ working together and loving one another. So help us to, to live out the things that we know to be true. I pray that the cross will become beautiful to us, Lord, more so than it may be right now. And that our hearts, Lord, will love Christ more and more and more. And we know your word says, Father, that he who began a good work in us will carry that work on to completion of death, Christ. You ain't going to give up on us. None of us are where we want to be, but we ain't where we used to be either. So help us to know that our God is at work in our lives, despite the things that we see. Help us to have that kind of hope. I pray, Lord, that the, that the voice of the enemy, Lord, will go quieter and quieter. Because he whispers untruth to us. Help us, Lord, to learn how to silence him when he comes to us to try to discourage us, to break us down. I pray that your word would be at our right hand and we will meditate upon that truth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. That you came and lived a life we cannot live. You died a death that we all should have died. And you did it to make us right with God. Thank you, Father, for all that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.